0: Welcome to another episode of Reverend G's Words of Encouragement. I am delighted that you have decided to listen into to my sermons today. I pray that something is said that will just touch you in a special way and encourage you on this journey. As I always like to say, my sermons are short, sweet, and impactful. So please listen to today's show. Is there something you've learned or liked? Please feel free to share with family and friends and everywhere on your social media. Thank you. And enjoy the show. We want to go to Joshua, the 10th chapter. And we're going to begin reading around about the 8th verse. Once again, Joshua, the 10th chapter. I want to read until you're hearing, beginning at the 8th verse, and walk through a few of these. If you're there, say amen. amen. And the Lord said to Joshua... Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them <clears throat> man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal, and the Lord threw them to a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Bethoron. And struck them as far as Ezekiah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Betharon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven to them as far as Ezekiah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword." At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. is, Is it not written in the book of Joshua? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp of Gilgal. If you would bow your heads in a moment of prayer. Dear God, we thank you now for this moment in time where your word is going to be delivered. Right now, God, we're praying that you would remove any distraction that would keep us from hearing what you have to say in this message. Lord God, we pray that someone's heart and mind would be changed after hearing this message, that they would be encouraged. And now, Lord, I turn this prayer to me. I pray that you allow this preacher to decrease, that your word would increase. I pray that you give me the strength and the courage to pour out that what you gave me privately, publicly at this moment in time. It is in Christ's magnificent name we pray, amen, amen. and amen. In preparing for today's sermon, I began to reflect on a commercial that I'm assuming most of you have probably seen or will see. And it's a commercial about two, it's an insurance commercial, and it's a commercial about two individuals in this story. And on one side of the story, there is this young lady who appears to be receiving her car, her first car, from her father. And then on the other side of the equation, there is this business executive appeared to be returning from a meeting to find his car vandalized and in destruction. But the plot of the commercial is that they use the same words to describe different circumstances and situations. And on one breath, there is the young lady when she sees a new car, she says, is this my car? Then on the other side of the equation, there's the business executive who says, he looks at his car and sees the hood up and the tires are off, and he says, is this my car? And then we switch back sides, and we see the young lady says, this can't be happening to me. And then the business executive says, this surely can't be happening to me. So there are other components of it, but the thing that crystallizes this story for me is that moment in time when they are at the insurance office, and the young lady is walking out of the insurance office, and the business executive is walking into the insurance office. And as they pass each other between the doors, they both say, what a day, what a day, what a day. (laughs) And so with that as the backdrop, I like to pull for a subject out of the 14th verse of today's text. For in there it says, there's been no day like it before or since. So my subject to, the, to you this morning is a day like no other. Have you ever had one of those days, a day like no other? Yeah. Maybe one day you were the teenager getting the car. Or maybe your life has been like the business executive on the other side. But sometimes we have a day like no other. Now before I proceed forward, I think it's important to kind of give you the context of where we are in this story. Because if I don't provide the context, it's kind of like walking into a movie 20 minutes in and not understanding how the characters arrive where they are. Someone says, why is preachers always talking about context? Well, I'll tell you this, I guarantee you, most of us at some point in time were contextual speakers. Let me give you a case in point. You remember back in the day when you were maybe a child or a teenager? and you had gotten yourself into some trouble, and mama was going to tighten you up. But before mama could tighten you up, you said, mama, let me explain. Right? Let me give you the full context of what you have heard. You may have heard I was acting a fool in school or cutting up on the bus, but let me give you the full context of what was happening before you proceed down this path. Am I right about it? So context kind of helps us understand the story so we can make decisions based on the context of the lesson. So for contextual purposes, I need to walk back a few chapters. Don't go there. But I want to walk back a few chapters and highlight a few things to explain how we get to Joshua here. So in researching, I go back to Joshua the sixth chapter. And in Joshua the sixth chapter is a very familiar story that most of you have probably heard preached. Sang, been in Bible study, and it's the story about the the city of Jericho, right? And it's where the walls came tumbling down. We probably heard, don't wait till the battle's over, we can shout now, right? So that's where Joshua was victorious against the city of Jericho. But probably like me, most of us sometimes maybe forget what happened after Joshua left Jericho and went to a place called Ai. He went to another city. And in that city, Joshua literally got his butt whooped. Are y'all with me this morning? But I'm so glad that God is a God of a second chance. So after God sent him back the second time at Ai, Joshua was victorious. And I'm sure at the second time and at the city of Jericho, Joshua was saying, what a day. This is a day like no other. So now we fast forward to the 10th chapter. And and although I didn't read it or read them, I want to now kind of give you an executive summary of what was happening from the first verse through the seventh verse. And so if you were to look there, you will find that there is the king of Jerusalem. And he hears the the story of how Joshua was victorious at the city of Jericho and the city of Ai. He also hears that uh, there's a city called Gibeon. You heard me read it just a few minutes ago. The city, the, the inhabitants of this particular city had also joined forces with Joshua. So this king said... You know, Joshua has been very victorious and now he has joined forces with a great and noble city. The people that are in this city are warriors. They are strong. So how am I going to fight against Joshua and the inhabitants of Gibeon? So the king does what the enemy likes to do. He went and found him some partners to attack Joshua. Isn't that how the enemy works? When they are not strong enough to fight you head on, the enemy will try to bring him back up. But I'm so glad we serve a God that's always our backup. And so this king finds four other kings, and they decide that they're going to go down to Gibeon and begin to attack Gibeon. So another aspect of this, uh, don't forget now, is that rather than attack Joshua, they decided to go and attack Gibeon. Isn't that another aspect of how the enemy works? If the enemy can't get to the wife, he'll get to the husband. If the enemy can't get to the parents, he'll try to get to the children. If the enemy can't get to the pastor, he'll try to get to the members. Because in the enemy's mind, if I can't attack them, let me attack somebody that's close to them. Because I can effect change by attacking someone that's close. But what the king didn't realize is the victories at Ai and Jericho were really not about Joshua. They were about a God, they were about the God that he served. So they had to focus on the wrong aspect of victory. So now I've given you a summary of what happens between one and seven. And now we're at a point where I started beginning to read the verse uh, at, at verse eight. And so now we find that. God is, the Lord is speaking to Joshua. He's telling Joshua what? To fear not. When God tells us to fear not, we should not be afraid. See, I'm I'm, I'm going to make the the imaginative leap that Joshua was aware of those five armies that were gathering around him. And the reason I believe that is because in the text it says that the inhabitants of, of the city of Gibeon went to see Joshua and said, come help us. And God tells him. To fear not, for I've given all of them into your hand. What I specifically like about this passage, when Joshua hears this, look what he does. He moves out quickly. He doesn't waste time. He doesn't call a study group. Doesn't send around emails trying to get further confirmation. He marched quickly down to face the enemy. My point is this. When God tells us to do something, we ought to move out quickly. Are y'all with me this morning? You know, back in the day when your parents told you to do something, it was only a one-time shot. (laughs) Am I right about it? And you moved out quickly. I digress. Let me get back to the topic. But he moved out quickly as God had given him instructions to do. Another interesting part about this story is you read that God threw the enemy into a state of panic. I'm sure in their mind they thought, hey, we got five armies. We outnumber them. We we have the element of surprise. But God threw them into a state of panic. Y'all see the point here? Sometimes people will think they have the advantage. And they think when they try to bring you down, they're in a state of panic because you don't fall down. Hmm? They try to get you fired, but you get promoted, and they get in a state of panic. Hmm? Am I right about it? That's the kind of God that we serve. There's no need for us to panic because God is going to cause them to panic. Why should we panic when we serve an awesome God? If we do, like the choir said, order my steps in your word, there's no need for us to panic. Let the enemy panic. And we give God the praise and the glory. And so they, as you see, a lot of them died by the hell song, more than by the sword. But the key aspect of the story is this. Joshua tells the sun to stand still, tells the moon to stop. When I first read this again and again, one might think, wow, God was able to stop the sun and the moon? But then I'm reminded, who made all of this stuff, right? Who hung the stars in the sky? Who breathed breath in our bodies to give us life? If we serve a God that can raise the dead, surely he can stop the sun. Surely he can stop the moon. But he says, sun stops still and the moon stops still. And the text says, is it not written in the book of Joshua. That the sun hung in its orbit a full day? Can you imagine that? And the moon stopped? But then we get down to that critical verse where it says there's been no day like it before or since. No day even close to what Joshua was experiencing. And in that moment, they had victory over the enemy. So here's the point, Joshua was not alone. There were others in our biblical text or the the Bible that had days like no other. I'm sure that when Moses was standing there at the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was behind him, I'm sure he was thinking, man, what a day, what a day, what a day. But when God opened up the sea, it was a day like no other. Am I right about it this morning? I'm sure that when the Hebrew boys were cast into, were about to be cast into the furnace, they were thinking, or could have been thinking, what a day, what a day, what a day. But when they came out, it was a day like no other. When David was facing Goliath, it was a day like no other. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, it was a day like no other. Have you ever experienced a day like no other? Well, let me try to bring this in because sometimes you ask the question, these are all great and wonderful stories of the Old Testament. But how is this relevant to me on June 11th, 2017? Well, I want to walk through a few scenarios that I believe in my mind would qualify as a day like no other. And if they qualify in my mind, if they qualify in your mind, you can let me know in any shape, form, or fashion you desire. (laughs) Just remember we are in the church. (laughs) Imagine this. If tomorrow morning, around about 9.35, your mortgage company called you and they said, stop sending us payments. Your mortgage has paid in full. Would that be a day like no other? (laughs) If you were to wake up Tuesday morning and you receive a text from your credit union and they say we know you only made two payments on that brand new car, but stop sending us payments. It's paid in full. God bless you. In my mind, that qualifies as a day like no other. And I got one more. So imagine you come back from a long lunch at at 1.35, you get a call from Sally Mae Navient or one of those other student loan companies. And they told you to stop sending payments, that all of your student loans were paid in full. But wait, wait a minute now. And they tell you, Everything that you pay, we're going to refund you back. That would be a day like no other. Well, my brothers and sisters, what I just described to you does not compare to the day that I'm actually referring to. The day that I'm referring to is the day that the sun stood still. And I'm not referring to the S-U-N, but I'm referring to the S-O-N. And I'm talking about the Son of God. For he stood before the courts as they heap insults upon him. He stood before the Roman guards as they beat him. And as they placed the crown of thorns upon his head, he stood there and he never said a mumbling word. And in essence, he was saying, our debt is paid in full. In my mind, that's a day like no other. And just as Joshua had the victory when the sun stood still, we have the victory when the sun stood still. For the Bible says he got it with all power in his hands. It tells us to cast our cares upon him for he cares for us. That's the kind of God that we serve. A day like no other. I still remember the day that I accepted the Lord in my life. And I got to tell you, it's still been a day like no other. Now, I've had some great days in between that, but nothing compares to the day when I accepted the Lord in my life. My wedding day was a day like no other. The day that my children were born was a day like no other. The day that my grandchildren were born was like a day like no other. But the day I became born again was a day like no other. When I accepted the Lord as my personal Lord and Savior, the enemy went into a state of panic. Because the enemy thought that he could break me down. Just like he thinks he can break you down. The enemy will try, as I said earlier, will try to attack somebody close to you. But we serve a God that has full coverage. Hmm. I'm I right about it. And just as Joshua celebrated the victory, we should always celebrate the victory. Victory in Jesus Christ. God bless you. I want to thank you for joining in and listening to today's uh, sermon. I pray that it touched your heart and that it will encourage you uh, tomorrow, the day after, and any days in the future. So God bless and please feel free to come back and join us again.